Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all of your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrants who are living with you, because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's the word of God. Thank you so much, Gary. Sorry. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I am so grateful to be here. Um, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Natasha. Um, I am the um, pastoral intern. Um, I am a second-year MDiv student at Duke Divinity School. Um, and I have the honor to preach on one of my favorite Christian practices, Sabbath. And I feel like the timing to talk about Sabbath is better than ever, I guess. I mean, this is October. This month for me seems to be the month that it's a month of restlessness. Um, some of us who are in school, if your kids are in school, the first day excitement has now dwindled down and you have so much assignments. I mean, the assignments are piling up and up. And maybe you or your kids are just feeling restless or exhausted. This is the month when it starts to get really cold and our bodies start to adapt to that or not adapt to that. And uh, now a hurricane. And uh, I'm glad that we are here. I mean, praise be God that we're all here and well. But uh, today, right now in this space, despite all of the chaos, I want to welcome you into a time of stillness, of Sabbath. The word Sabbath uh, conjures up different images. First is the image that some of us might think that the word Sabbath means something that is just an exclusively Jewish practice. The second image, on the other hand, maybe some of us grew up in a place where um, like the whole city would shut down when Sunday came along. I mean, there was nothing open, maybe except for hospitals, um, some churches, of course, and maybe a gas station or two. And then there's that third image. And uh, I think this is the image that most of us have in mind. Um, it is the idea that well, Sabbath, you know, Sabbath is a, such a nice idea, right? But it's just outdated. You know, it's not practical enough. And most Christians, I would argue, don't have an intentional practice of Sabbath. Maybe some of us do, but it's something that's often missing now more than ever. Why is that? I mean, why is that? I, I ponder this a lot. And so to answer that, we first have to look back in the origins of Sabbath, and uh, how it's rooted deeply into the story of God. And then by doing that, that must mean we have to go back to the beginning, as in the very, very, very beginning. And in the beginning, the world was formless and void, or as I like to call it, like a primordial goop, just like water hovering. <laughs> but this immediately changes with one word command, let there be light. Suddenly, a flash of brilliant light fills the void, though not all the darkness is uh, like faded away. Some of it remains, and we call that night, and then the light we call day, day one. Soon enough, what becomes primordial goop at first becomes so many beautiful things, right? Um, it flourishes into wisping clouds, 
chilling mountaintops, brilliant stars that seem so, so close but are way beyond far, and uh, blossoming plants of a million different varieties, creatures both big and small, and yes, even creepy, crawly insects that I just cannot stand, and humans, which sometimes I also cannot stand. These weird blobs of flesh that somehow resemble the image of God, somehow. And all of this, all of this from primordial goop, and God calls it good. I am going to be reading the conclusion of that passage, but not the conclusion of God's story. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. So normally, when, at least when I read Genesis, what I picture is the God of creation. I picture the God creating in six days. But we, this text reveals something that feels a bit weird for me. It's not necessarily the God of creation, but it's the God of naps. It's the God of a good Sunday snooze. And this is great, right? But this is the first time that we find the word Sabbath mentioned and the idea of resting. And this is also the first time that scripture, um, in Scripture that God designates something as holy. Um, this is really surprising for me, that it's not necessarily a person. It's not anything he had created. It's not the human he had created. It is a unique time. Um, this is the first idea of holiness, and it's used for time. I think it's just fascinating. And this time for refreshment means something very particular to the people of God. So in his sensationally amazing book, um, it's called Sabbath as Resistance, Saying No to the Culture of Now. Has anyone read Walter Brueggemann's A Couple of Us? Okay, good. It is amazing. Walter Brueggemann is a fantastic Old Testament scholar, and he writes that. Um, so he writes in A Sabbath as Resistance, he says, Sabbath is a recognition that we get depleted and our sense of personhood needs to be refreshed. And I love the word up there. I love the word personhood. I love that he uses that because in Genesis 1.27, um, it's explaining that human is made in God's image, right? And since we are made in God's image, that also means that to be human is to be a good steward of creation, yes, including ourselves. And to participate in creating, yes, but also in resting. And it seems to me as though when God is resting, it's as if God is saying to us, this is a part of what it means to be human, to rest as I rest, and to rest in me. So yes, God does rest, but that does not mean that God's job is done. I mean, certainly we have the rest of the Bible that shows that God moves and changes and stands for the oppressed. And so when the Jews are enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, they are forced to work seven days a week without any Sabbath. And in this terrible state of um, bondage, the people of God could not rest whatsoever. 
And so that meant, according to Genesis, it means that they could not be fully human as God had intended them to be. Therefore, the God who, uh, the God who naps in Genesis 2 is now the God who emancipates in Exodus. God hears the cries of his people and responds and frees them and emancipates them from slavery, from work systems, and from the gods of Egypt who are used to uh, legitimize the slave system. Whereas the gods of Egypt uh, demand for endless production, God invites his people to rest. And although God delivers them, the people of God are stuck. I mean, you have the Exodus, right? But they're stuck. They don't know what it's like to live as free people. They had been under the thumb of Pharaoh for so long and so conditioned that they can't possibly imagine how to live free again. So God makes a covenant with them, a promise that he will take care of them. And he provides basic instructions on how to organize their lives. And uh, one of the ways that he provides these instructions is through the Ten Commandments, which we read just a bit about. And so most of the commandments are pretty short and to the point, you know, like do not kill, do not murder, things like that. But our passage today, um, the commandment, the fourth commandment, is very different. Uh, It's thorough. It's comprehensive, it's long, and it seems like it's meant for everyone. And uh, so I'm going to read it for us again, and I'm going to read it slowly. And I'd love to see if you can uh, just notice how lengthy the commandment is. All right, I'm going to read it from the beginning. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all tasks. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it. Not you, nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, your animals, or your immigrant who lives with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So why is this commandment so long? I mean, why is it not just do not keep the Sabbath, you know, keep the Sabbath, you know, moving on, right? I think for, I mean, just taking into consideration where the people once were, I think that this commandment has to be spelled out for them because they must learn that they are no longer slaves to Pharaoh's economy. This oppressive economy that they were enslaved under is long and gone. Sabbath is now God's method to teach the people that they are truly free. And Sabbath also is a very like communal practice, right? I mean, you have not you, nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your female and male servants, your animals. I, who knows about that? And then any foreigner. I mean, this comprehensive list is so long but I think that means at least when I read this everyone is designed for Sabbath everyone is deserving of Sabbath and everyone is free from Pharaoh's economy and uh, that means if you are in a place of any authority in this community 
Um, you must make sure that everyone takes the Sabbath, right? That's why it says your male and female servants must take a Sabbath. So Sabbath is not the opportunity to take a day off and just push your responsibilities onto someone else, right? It's where we all participate it together. And I think that's why the rabbis and the Old Testament scholars recognize the Sabbath as the fourth commandment, um, as this like crucial bridge in between the other commandments, right? Um, it connects the first three look at the God of naps, right? It says, you must have no gods before me. You can't make an idol for yourself. Don't misuse God's name. And then the last six are concerned about neighbors, right? So do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. And the Sabbath links these two together. It is a commitment to both God and to neighbor. In other words, honoring the Sabbath is not only a spiritual commitment, but a moral one as well. And so if it's so important, right, if it's really in these Ten Commandments that we follow, then why is the Fourth Commandment so ignored by modern Christians? I mean, let's take a look at this list, right? We have all ten of them listed, right? I mean, I think Pastor Chris told me this, and I've heard it from other pastors as well. There's this common thing pastors kind of say um, while preaching about the Sabbath. Um, it's like these commandments, you know, all of these commandments could get you fired from a job if you break them, right? I mean, especially like do not murder. That would not only get you fired, but it would get you, you know, arrested. Um, but, but keeping Sabbath is that one commandment that you wouldn't get, you know, if you broke it, you wouldn't get uh, fired, you would actually probably get praised for it, for working overtime. And so corporate America, I think, really thrives off of breaking Sabbath. And if I can be honest, I think Christians thrive off of breaking Sabbath. And because it's so easy, right? I mean, it's so easy, and it feels so optional. I mean, so, like, imagine this with me. I mean, if, if, if after potluck, we go downstairs, and you're going to ask someone, and you say, you know, how's your day? Um, and if they respond something like, oh, you know, I've got to go run and get some work done, right? That, that would feel normal. That would feel okay. That seems like a fine excuse. On the other hand, it would be completely scandalous if uh, you asked, you know, what are you going to do today? And they say, yeah, you know, I'm going to think I'm going to go covet my neighbor's wife. Or, you know, I'm going to go steal, or I'm going to go lie, or I'm going to go murder. Like, no, you would call the police. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be uh, all happy. Um, so when it comes to the Sabbath, why are we like, meh? I mean, even though scripture kind of puts Sabbath on par with these commandments, like do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. I mean, Y'all, I mean, <laughs> if it's in the commandments, right, then it means we can't ignore Sabbath. And yet we do. And in the process, we are seeping back into the ways of Pharaoh. Walter Brueggemann gives this very real warning to us. He reads, If you forego the Sabbath commandment, you very soon forget what it means to be the emancipated people of God. And that's why he continues to describe Sabbath as 
a continuing exodus, a continuing departure and resistance to an endless production scheme of Pharaoh. Right? And yet, it isn't Pharaoh who just schemes against Sabbath. It isn't just Pharaoh who we can blame, right? I cannot help but recognize how similar our culture is to one of Pharaoh's. I mean, our culture, much like his, is a culture of bondage. I mean, American culture teaches us a lot of things, right? It teaches us first that we are a community of improvement, We must constantly improve and get better and never stop for the sake of maintaining a strong economy, right? (laughs) But Genesis 2, 2 through 3 teaches us that God naps because God's work is done and that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. It just is. American culture teaches us that Our life purpose is to create, 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 create until our bodies just give out and die. That's the way of Pharaoh. That's the way of Caesar and capitalistic societies. But that's not the way of God. Our American culture teaches us that our self-worth is found in what we can produce, right? What we can produce and what we can consume. So being busy is somehow a symbol. It's a symbol that you're doing something good if you're always busy. But our self-worth is not found in, uh, in what we can produce or consume. Rather, it is found in our identities as the children of the God who naps. But yeah, I mean, yes, we have to work, right? We have to work six days, five days a week. That is completely unavoidable, right? We have to narrow, you know, navigate Pharaoh's economy. But one day, one day a week, we can intentionally enter a, a, a time of celestial Sabbath. In this way, Pharaoh, or Pharaoh, <laughs> Sabbath becomes a kind of resistance against Pharaoh through a new means of organizing our time. So I'd like to return back to those three images I showed in the beginning. Um, So the first image was the idea of Sabbath as an exclusively Jewish practice. But in actuality, Sabbath is found all throughout, and it is a deep, essential rhythm throughout the story of God, both Old Testament and New Testament. So therefore, Sabbath is a part of our stories too. The second image of Sabbath is the list of do not do this. It's where everything has to shut down because it has to fit into what we perceive as Sabbath. But following these strange and legalistic rules of Sabbath is not the point. I mean, throughout Jesus' ministry, I mean, he talks about this, right? Um, He fights against the legalistic views of Sabbath. So when I was like struggling with this passage, I, uh, I reflected on kind of what Jesus said. And then I also, also asked my, um, my pastor back home, Tim Settle. He is the uh, lead pastor of Redemption Church in Kansas City. Um, and this is also one of his favorite things to preach on. So I asked, you know, what's one of the things that you tell your congregants? And um, 
So he took that idea of, you know, Jesus um, fighting against this legalistic view of Sabbath. Um, and that's in Mark 2, where Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, and they accuse him of working. But then he tells them, you know, it is okay, you know. And uh, so the way Tim, uh, Tim Settle kind of rephrases it is this. We are not here to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is here to keep us. We are not here to keep the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is here to keep us and keep us becoming more and more human. The last image is perhaps really the, just the hardest to get away from, right? It is the belief that Sabbath is just impractical, is too idealistic, that there are not enough hours in the day or in the week to practice any rhythm of Sabbath. And uh, I mean, I can't stand here and pretend as if I understand how everyone functions in their lives. I realize that as I look around the congregation, everyone has different ways that they'll have to practice Sabbath. I recognize that everyone has different commitments and are in different life stages that will complicate how it is to practice Sabbath. And because I realized that my experience as a grad student might be very different, I decided to call my mom and my grandma. Um, you can always call on them, right? And uh, I decided to ask them, what is it like to practice Sabbath in your guys' stage of life? So for myself, Again, I am a master's student at Duke Divinity, and so practicing Sabbath will look a bit different, right? Um, so for me, I practice Sabbath by not doing homework nor doing any sort of intensive labor from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. This is a very traditional Jewish way to do it. Um, it also works very well just with my schedule um, to be able to practice that, right? because um, I can really commit to it, because otherwise I would be in school. On the other hand, that can be hard for graduate students. Um, also, as a pastoral intern, it can also be very hard, because Saturdays are often the time where you polish your sermon, and that's my time to rest. And so I realize that it's very, uh, very difficult. And so uh, I asked my mom, I said, well, what was it like for you when you had younger kids? Because um, many of you guys have younger kids. And so I asked my mom when you know, we were little, what did she do? Because my, my brother and I are 16 months apart. And so you can imagine there's a lot to do with that. And she also helped with my cousins quite a bit. And so she explained that practicing Sabbath was a bit complex um, and a bit difficult. Um, it wasn't this 24 hours of complete rest. It wasn't just pure silence, right? That would be, that would, yeah, I know. <laughs> the parents here are just laughing at the idea of that, right? Um, but she discovered Sabbath was through different things like going to a restaurant instead of eating in so that someone else could prepare the meal. And another one was taking my brother and I on nature walks because that would not only make her feel happy being outside, but also we would be tired afterwards and we'd just take a long nap after that. I mean, it's just brilliant planning. My mom's so smart. And there are, there are more things, I'm sure. Those were the two that she said. Um, 
And so I'm sure that's something that you can discover in your own families as well. Um, and as for my grandmother, my grandmother is retired now, and Sabbath looks very different, I think, for her too. Because when she was a child, uh, she could not go to the movies. She could not go out to restaurants. She could not play games. I mean, Sabbath meant everything was closed except for church and hospitals and, again, maybe a gas station or two. But she still practices Sabbath, not to that extent, but um, she still has a rhythm of Sabbath. For her, it is attending church. It is spending quiet time in prayer um, and conversation with God. And it is hosting a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful dinner where all of our family members from all sides of the city come together and we celebrate over a meal which we will be doing shortly. And so through that meal, my grandmother loves to have conversations, laughs, games. And honestly, that, that practice is Sabbath for me too. And so wherever you are, whether you are a student, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, whatever station of life you're in, I want to implore you, to explore what Sabbath means to you. And I pray we make the space for stillness. Sabbath is that space where we discover ourselves, where we discover each other, and where we discover the God of naps.